We have an accreditation scheme that we're building to actually start to celebrate these wins and advertise these wins through our channel as well and start to lead a, a more sustainable industry so that in five, ten years' time, we're not at a resource crisis and we are the industry of choice, the profession of choice for parents, for their children and for recruitment officers in schools. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Burnt Chef Journal, a hospitality-specific podcast dedicated to challenging mental health stigma and conversations designed to inspire a new, healthier, happier and more sustainable hospitality profession. As I am on the road traveling a lot this week, we have a very special bonus episode from the Commercial Kitchen and Catering Show in London, where we were part of a panel discussion with Anna Ho, owner of Myrtle, Taylor Bonnyman from the Five Fields Restaurant in London, and Robin Gill, chef patron of Bermondsey Larder. This was a panel discussion hosted by Cara Houchen from the Staff Canteen, all about kitchen culture, business culture, and how to get the best and motivate our teams, basically. So I hope that you enjoyed this week's bonus episode, and we very much look forward to being back to normal service soon. The Burnt Chef Project is proudly sponsored by Lamb Weston, a leading provider of innovative, high-quality potato products created for chefs to help operators thrive both today and tomorrow. Working carefully with sustainably-minded farmers and growers, Lamb Weston provides potato solutions for every type of kitchen, from premium British chips and fries to potato shapes, wedges and mash. To find out more, head to lambweston.eu or search your partner in potatoes. Okay, thank you for joining us. My name's Cara, a little bit about me. I work for the Staff Canteen, which is a website for chefs. If you're not aware of it, please go and have a look. We've got all the socials. I also host a podcast called Grilled. So if you really want to know about chefs and there's no filter, then please go and listen to that as well. Today, we are talking about changing kitchen culture. And I'm going to introduce my guests on the panel. We have an extra guest as well. <laughs> so do you know what, Robin? I'll start Day with crasher. you. <laughs> I was supposed to do a panel with Robin earlier, but he went to the wrong location. So we've slotted him on the Earl's end of this cord. one. <laughs> so we have Robin Gilt. Robin, I was going to, as part of the panel, get you to tell me how you've changed your different ventures that you've got. So please do tell us what restaurants that you have. Yeah, so we've got a bakery called Ride by the Water, which is in Brentford. We've got Bermondsey Larder, which is in Bermondsey. We just opened a wine bar called Bottle and Rye. We've got a brasserie called Darby's. And we've just launched a project called Maria G's, which is Italian, and Sorella as well. Brilliant. You did it better than me, you see. That's why I let you do it. <laughs> so next, we've got Anna Howe. I always say that wrong. She always tries to tell me how to say it. I've known her many years, and I always get it wrong. Chef owner of Myrtle also will have seen her on TV and she's just recently been announced as the MasterChef Professionals judge. So you'll see her on TV even more. So welcome, Anna. Thank you. Delighted to be here. <laughs> and Taylor Bonnyman from the Five Fields in Chelsea, also in Chelsea. So Taylor, well documented that you came into the industry at the late grand old age of 22. I love that when you read it on Google. Oh, it's not late anymore. <laughs> no. It's getting later and later. <laughs> um, you've worked with the likes of Marcus Waring, Pierre Gagné, and then you opened Five Fields, which was your first head chef role. So you just went straight in. Yes, turbulence. And that's where the, sort of the real education began. And finally, Chris. 
you are the burnt chef project. <laughs> I know you live and breathe it and definitely keeps you busy. We talk about it all the time. So the Burnt Chef Project provides mental health support for the UK hospitality trade, among other things, which obviously we will go we will go into. And this is why we're here. I've had the pleasure of working with all of you at some point over the past eight years. So I'm very excited to talk to you all. So the mental health with the Burnt Chef Project leads me nicely into the changing of kitchen culture. I'm going to go with Anna first. What does the concept of culture mean to you? I don't know. For me, your restaurant should reflect you, who you are in your personality. So back in the day, there was one way that the kitchens were ruled. There were ruled with an iron fist. So the culture that you create in your kitchen should reflect you as a business owner, but also as a person and a personality. So I care about my staff. I love food. I think people should work the hours that they can physically work themselves. So we don't have like set rules of there's one rule for everybody and that's it. I agree. I sit down and I interview people for the hours that they want to work, the money they want to earn. And sometimes if they're very young, they have unrealistic expectations. And part of the kitchen culture we have is that the team help that person understand what they can and can't do. So the senior chefs are trained to support the other chefs. So a young chef wants to work 15 hours a day because they want to earn lots of money. Day two, and they start to wobble. We don't just let them steam ahead. After that, we sit them down and we re-talk through their hours. That kind of idea. So there's a culture throughout the kitchen that is led by me, but carried by the team. And it is all about support. It's all about support nets that catch everybody along the way, including me. They catch me too. Yeah. Taylor, what about you? I really liked Anna's answer. I think I always say to people, we're here to have a bit of fun, make a bit of money. Hopefully we'll be here tomorrow. I liked Anna's answer because it's important to treat, it's a collection of individuals working with a common goal to make it do something really good. And no one wants to play on a side that keeps losing. So there has to be a degree of discipline, but self-policing, that's what we try and inculcate in people that, you know, you are really the best person to judge. Am I doing a good job? I can't remember the last time I raised my voice. It, it never has to come to that. You know, I do think that that comes from losing control of situations. And I sympathize with restaurants that don't have enough staff because that's incredibly stressful. And that's when it starts to slip. And that's when people lose their tempers. They don't get enough sleep. You know, they're looking at the mortgage on their house. And, you know, that's when it starts to get a bit ugly. But I think, you know, you have to, I think COVID taught everyone to enjoy the moment, do your best, and hopefully we'll be there tomorrow because you know, chances are something awful could happen like a special operation in Ukraine, you know. <laughs> So. <laughs> Ever-changing. Robin, listening to both Anna and Taylor and obviously the restaurants that you have, how hard or easy is it to implement positive changes into the kitchen culture? How easy or hard do you find that as a business owner? I don't know. I think agreeing with Anna, it has to start from the top. Do you know what I mean? Whoever's running that kitchen and leading the team has to set a certain presidents and has to set a certain atmosphere and I think I, I've always kind of looked at it really practically like if you're you know it's a career that you sort of have to dedicate your life to maybe less so now it's slightly less hours than it used to be but 
I think you're still dedicating your life. And if you're doing those, whatever, 10, 12 hour days or 15 hour days, whatever it may be, I just think it, it's practically, you, you may as well enjoy it. Do you know what I mean? It may as well be a nice environment. And I think if it's like, I love music and I always make sure there's music on, if it's not through the restaurant in an open kitchen or if it's in the kitchen while you're prepping and, and simple things like that. It's just creating an atmosphere and, and that there's a, like a little bit of good banter in the kitchen and just by having a, a nice, and that's what I mean. I, I did have a chef in one of the kitchens before who was just come in and even the briefings is like, right, this is what we have booked today. And I'm like, and I had to put him, how, how do you turn around to someone and go, listen, you need to be better crack, you know? <laughs> it's really hard, isn't it? Will you be just sounder? And, but it is, you have to kind of like, and especially these days, it's not like the old days where, you know, you have to kind of like put your CV into those places and beg for a job. There's simply, guys can go anywhere they want. They can work anywhere they want. There's huge staff shortages. So it's not just about the money. It's not just about great kitchen, great food, because they're all over the place. It's actually people need to have an amazing atmosphere in the kitchen and there needs to be a certain fun element to it, you know, and also inspiring. And okay, there is this conversations maybe about music and sport or whatever in the kitchens, but... But then if there's constant dialogue and communication, like I think it's really important to have a morning meeting and a post-service meeting so everyone knows what's going on and not just the, the, the key people, but, you know, everyone in the kitchen and, and then those meetings in front of house and back of house as well. So everybody feels involved in it. And you're talking about what's coming on the menu or new ingredients that are coming into season. And so people feel like a little bit they've got to think. Do you know what I mean? And involve them in it. So it's a combination of those things. But it's hard, you know. Yeah. Chris, listening to that, is there any further suggestions? Have they said things that maybe make you think, oh, actually, that's something other people can implement? Yeah, I think Anna made a really good point, which was that we need to try and create cultures and environments that are supportive. And the interesting thing about managing expectations as well, you know, we are getting individuals come into the workplace now who have only ever worked at KP level, for example, and suddenly at head chef. And we put those people in a position where they are under a tremendous amount of stress because they don't have the resources or skills. And then ultimately, that doesn't reflect badly on them as the individual. They then reflect badly, or they look at the employer as the, the root cause of that issue, which is it's just exacerbating a current situation. So it's things like yeah, musical choices. I went to Paul Ainsworth's place in Padstow, and the member of the server came over to me and said, I've been here for three years. And I said... How is it? He goes, I know you from the Burn Chef Project, he said, so I know why you're prying. But I said, no, genuinely, how is it? And he said, well, you hear this song that's on the radio now that we're playing out. I chose that. And I was like, okay, what, just this one? He said, no, the entire staff chose the playlist for service. And not just inside the kitchen, but outside. So we get to share this with you. And I'm like, these are the little nuggets, the gems that before we used to, you know, the Iron Fist, we used to do this because it was, look, if you get into this, this is it. You give up everything in order to be able to make a success. But now we're actually starting to see that your individualities, what makes you, you, your, what you bring to the team, your different resilience levels is vitally important to creating that cohesion and that sense of long-term retention. So brilliant points. Well, you saying that obviously that he knows that he's picked that playlist and so is the team. One of my other questions was, how do you know the things that you've put in place or trying to put in place are actually having a positive impact and an effect on your team. How do you judge that? I'm looking at you, Anna. <laughs> well, you know when you walk into your kitchen how the kitchen feels. There's an atmosphere. 
And when your staff are happy, and then as you're looking at the mise en place and the stuff that they've done, and it tastes and looks good or almost looks right, and you're able to nudge them in the right direction, then you know that things are on the right track. But it takes a really long time to develop the right atmosphere in a kitchen, and then you have to protect it. And you also have to help the leaders of the kitchen not get burnt out themselves. It's not just about the juniors. The seniors have to be minded too. And it's really remarkable how old we can be and we still don't know what we need. And you have to preempt that. So sometimes in the past, like I've had to make staff take holidays where I've been like, that's it. You've got to go away for like five days. Don't come into work. If you come into work, you'll be sent home because they're burning themselves out and you can't tell them that they're burning themselves out. They, they're just doing it. They, they, they won't stop. So sometimes you have to protect them from themselves, which makes being a head chef or a restaurateur so difficult now because you are a coach you're, you're riling them before the service. You're teaching them about techniques. You're showing them the craft. And now you're also making sure you're protecting their mental health. And it's, it's really, really difficult. But if you get it right and you keep your team, it's worth it. And you're proud of what you do. It represents who you want to be as a business owner. But it is really challenging. And it's, it's going to continue to get challenging because expectations. I totally agree with you. If, if a staff member puts himself forward for a job, like a head chef, and they're not ready, and someone gives them the head chef position, the person who hires them is at fault, not the person who, who tried for the position. I have a million stories of chefs before they were ready being made senior and falling apart and living a lie and, and being like drinking too much and crumbling, but they were sous chefs in too much star restaurants. So the people who hire the chefs have got to put them in the correct position. Yeah, 100%. And I think it's difficult, right? When you talk about managers, so we've just done a study for just under 700 people across the industry, back of house, front of house, multiple different genders. And one of the glaringly obvious things came out of that was that kitchen culture from a relationship point of view between peers is strong. Low levels of bullying, great levels of support, like a really, really encouraging statistics across a broad spectrum of roles. Where we were starting to see the big impacts was that managerial roles weren't supporting their teams well enough. And that seems really bad on the face of things. But when we started looking at what the managers were saying, they were saying they don't have the time. They're not taking the breaks. I think 60 or 70, just under 70% of people that we spoke to in managerial roles felt they had to do more than their contracted hours. And it's that false burnout's horrible, right? It tricks you. And when you're in that position, you've got a position of responsibility. You want to do the very best for your team and also for the business. You then end up being the one who inadvertently does get injured from that. And it's about trying to empower those individuals to take time off. It's okay, you know, and to try and put in place those structures so that, as you say, your retention rates improve. And that no longer are we looking at 125% turnover rates. But we're looking at other industries, which are 25%. And so our net profits are a lot better. Taylor, when I was talking to Anna about doing this panel, she massively championed you because of your head chef, Marguerite. How do you say her surname? Kyo. Another one that I can't pronounce. And talking about development and supporting like that level, is that something that's very important to you? And, and that obviously you've obviously developed her. 
to where she is now. I mean, Marguerite came like a cat in the post, fully formed. <laughs> I'd like to think that we have complementary skills. She has lots and I have relatively few. No, she was just taking breaks. She, much to everyone's chagrin in the kitchen, she locks everyone out from 4.30 to 5.15 every day. You have to take a break. You can't do any more work unless there are, you know, that some act of God has meant that, you know, all of your mise en place has, you know, tumbled to the ground or something. But we have a strong relationship. We have a strong sense of how we'd like to run the restaurant. And I think the culture is a very good one. We have excellent staff retention, but I must admit that Marguerite works harder than just about anyone else in the restaurant in order to make that happen. But she also derives a huge amount of satisfaction from it. We've managed to carve out a bit more time for Marguerite. I'm hoping the next 10 years <laughs> she'll have a bit more time. But no, she's uh, another, um, another member of the Murphia. Actually, Robin said, you know, he had a slightly lugubrious head chef. I'm sitting next to the you know, two Irish people. I'm sort of, you know, oh, well, you know, <laughs> slightly lugubrious uh, guy in the middle. But yeah. <laughs> Robin, how hard is it to do across multiple sites? How hard is it to be consistent across more than one restaurant it's all down to people you know it's like i'm kind of lucky enough that we've we've managed to expand but i've only been able to do it or i've only been willing to do it because of the people that i've had in the business and it sort of started in the old dairy days when i had a guy called dean who was like my right hand man I used to call him keen dean still do he is still keen and i i remember thinking like it was very hard to get into i think for any restaurateur or restaurant person if you're trying to get into a site, no matter what your cv is until you've proven yourself as a business person it's very hard to get on that first ladder so when we finally got in after three years of looking for a site, Dean was a major part in, in setting up the dairy. And then, and then we had a, a restaurant around the corner, which was an old Spanish restaurant, which the lady wanted to retire. And she said, look, would you come and take over the restaurant? And it was, I never, ever thought about expanding. But the only reason was I, I looked at Dean and I was thinking, he's going to go. He's ready. Like he's, he's, he's way better than me. He's kind of running rings around me, super creative. His next role is going to be as to run his own place. So that's what we did then. I was like, okay, it's gonna, this is going to be about you. This is this is when we open the manor. And, and, and that's why we expanded. So it's always been about the people. And that's that's what's happened. And that they're the ones that make it successful. It's it's their restaurant, effectively. Unfortunately, I get the credit a lot of the time. But also the blame. <laughs> so, but it is. It's They, they get ownership. There's re redeemable chairs involved as well. But it is their place. And I'm there as an advisor and the support and if I see like nice new products or I try to get events going to keep us kind of relevant and stuff like that but it's their restaurant and that's that's how I manage it it's because I actually don't it's them you know yeah. yeah Chris I suppose the end goal for you is that that they don't need the burnt chef project anymore and you listen to what these guys are saying if everyone did this it would make your life a lot easier right yeah, I think there's so much negativity around hospitality and we need to start celebrating the positive stories. 100%. Yeah, I mean, look, our, brand, our branding's black and white. We are talking about mental health and mental illness specifically. But the goal of the Burnt Chef Project now is to celebrate these wins, celebrate these stories whereby you have the same team members for three, four, five years and they are, you can do 60-hour weeks providing that everything else is in balance and an equilibrium. So I think my goal, it used to be to make myself redundant and that we didn't exist anymore. But I see it now looking at a case of actually, let's be that, that voice for change. Let's celebrate these wins and start sharing this positivity, not just in the UK, globally, 
because there are other countries that we work in, such as Canada and America, South Africa, Australia. All of these countries are experiencing the same things. That's one of the beauties of hospitality. We can work anywhere in the world, but also we tend to experience the same difficulties. So let's, let's put Britain on the map. Let's make sure that the UK as a whole is shining in the light. We have an accreditation scheme that we're building to actually start to celebrate these wins and advertise these wins through our channel as well and start to lead a, a more sustainable industry so that in five, ten years' time, we're not at a resource crisis and we are the industry of choice, the profession of choice for parents, for their children and for recruitment officers in schools. Yeah, and obviously there is a lot of information out there and I know one of the things we discussed about before you came on this panel, is how do you sift through that? So what do you guys listen to or read or take you know, messages from, apart from the staff canteen, obviously, but <laughs> where do you get your, you know, your inspiration, your information, and how do you know what stuff to go, oh, that's just scaremongering, that's not, that's not for me? I mean, I listen to my staff and I ask them what they want, and that has a big effect on how we run the kitchen. I do allow them to make decisions on hours and rotas and it does my nut in because I'm like, that's not going to work. But I have to let them do it because they have to figure out their way of what is right and wrong. So I, I let them have power and then I listen to how they feel after those decisions. I think a big part of how a kitchen can become sustainable is that if people feel that there is ownership inside that kitchen, if they feel that they are part when a chef works for you, and these two chefs are two chefs that I find incredibly inspiring, and their kitchens reflect them. You can see it. It reflects them. When somebody works for you, they back you like a horse. They're not just going, I want a job, I want to be paid, or I want to do nice food. They're like, no, this horse this is the horse I think is going to win, and I want to, I want to back that horse. So you've got to listen to your backers, because they are the people who are actually going to bring you through the finish line. So they know far more than sometimes you give them credit because they're young, you think, oh, they don't know. But sometimes they've got brilliant ideas. And working with them together, you can create a better industry. But it isn't easy. There's nothing easy about we're sitting up here making it sound easy. It isn't easy. It's, it's decades of effort and decades of mistakes that we're standing on. Yeah. Oh, well, I think one of the final questions I wanted was to, to ask you all was where you see kitchen culture in 10 years time. We've talked about how it's changed in 10 years. Yeah, scary robots. <laughs> how would you like it to be in the future, in the ideal world? And we're sat here talking about kitchen culture. And uh, no fat. <laughs> Loads of money. No, the thing is, I, I do think that there's, there's a balance. And I think we're there with a the working balance. Well, I think I'm so happy to hear you say that we need to be shouting about more positive because there's been so much negative stuff about the industry for such a long time. There's a lot of sort of Instagram posts, which are just, you know, some of them are quite brutal and, and they're painting a really bad picture. So nobody wants to get into the industry. And if that happens, that makes the industry as a whole even worse. You know, when what we're trying to do is build a and it is a fantastic industry. I've had an incredible life. The very first kitchen I went into was the worst. I, I was really badly bullied and I hated it. But ever since then, I kind of, you know what I mean? And I think the thing is that bullying goes on in every industry. You can have it in a shoe store. You can have it in a stock exchange. It can be anywhere. And I think, but it's quite rightly, the restaurant industry has been called out 
but it's moved on so much. It's not the 90s anymore. Do you know what I mean? And it's like, there's so many fantastic restaurants out there and great working environments. And I think everybody really knows now in the industry that if it's shit somewhere, you can easily just go somewhere else. It's going to be way better, you know? And I think that's what we, we need to be talking about is how great it is. So what I would like to see and how I see, see it going is that there is bit, a lot more of a work-life balance. In fact, I even think that there could be almost like a, co- a cooperative approach to, to restaurants and we were talking about this a couple it. of years ago <laughs> where there's I think it's in Grand Central Station in New York is a co-op and it's been a co-op for something like 50 60 years the owner who built it passed but he left it to the team and then the team then they've got this structure where from the head chef or exec chef down that there's a tiered system of who is the ownership of the restaurant and I think that's an amazing model I mean it could that could be not every restaurant, but there could be some restaurants out there where everybody has ownership over it. You're talking about the radio, like, you know, where imagine that every single person has a piece of that restaurant and it's theirs and it's a unit, and it's a cooperative space. That means that everybody's involvement plays an important part of it and everybody's looking after each other. You know, there could be more of that. And then if there is a, a management to get to sort of, let's say, 45 hours a week, that'd be awesome as well. But, You're nodding, Anna. I've never even thought of that. That's brilliant. Yeah. And Taylor, what about you? The future future um, for you? I think I can only speak about our restaurant and extrapolate from that. But I would like to, I think a lot of what's going to happen in the middle term is going to be determined by what happens in the next year or two with inflation, cost of living. And there's something's going to have to give because obviously our wages have, have gone up commensurately with inflation. We've tried to stay ahead of it, but we're watching money literally just decompose in front. Everyone's feeling poorer. And that's all the way from customers through to employees. Restaurants are not just going to be able to throw money at the problem. At the other end, they're trying to reduce the working hours. And I think, again, there's a minimum number of hours that you have to work if, if you subscribe to the idea of the 10,000-hour rule to attain mastery of something, you have to spend 10,000 hours doing it your career is going to be a lot more protracted on that basis. And then you've got the ambitions of slightly unrealistic, let's call them cooks, who want to get there as quickly as possible, work with a good life balance. You know, there's going to be an equilibrium along the way. So for the moment, we can't pay our staff any more than what we pay them, what we can afford, but we have them on a, on a booper, a collective plan. We've got a group gym membership. So that they maybe when they go home, they don't like, you know, in that dodgy dead zone, they don't sort of hit the bottle too hard and watch a couple films and then, you know, get one hour's sleep. The answer is, I don't know what's going to happen in 10 years time. We can make it as good as possible now and make sure that we are still there in 10 years time. And hopefully we'll retain as many of the people that we enjoy working with until then. So, Yeah, absolutely. Chris, final word from you. I just enjoy having these conversations. Like, even as panelists, there are ideas being shared here openly that we go, oh, hold on a sec, I'd never thought of it like that. And I often joke that the Burnt Chef project should have been just called That's the Way Things Are, because that's what we used to hear, right? That's just hospitality. That's just the way things are. But it's not anymore. And we need to encourage more of this sharing. I think in the next 10 years, I mean, there's so many innovative solutions that can come and help with things like culture. It is like a sourdough starter. It's like a mother. You're going to have to feed it. You're going to have to keep working on it in order for it to grow. And eventually, then your team will help with that and allow that to push forward. But there's things like, you know, Unox who have got hot fridges now that keep 
food hot for three days in safe environments. So when you're thinking about how you balance that out in terms of keeping your good team, reducing the demand, you can use technology to also help to make sure that you have got the time to, to teach and to train and to take on that leadership role whilst using other elements that reduce that demand over busy periods. So I think it's really, really interesting. I'm very, very excited about the next next five to 10 years in hospitality. It's going to be, I think people will look back at this and go, this is the time when actually this industry really started to ramp up. Definitely. Well, hopefully back here in 10 years and that will be the conversation we're having. Thank you very much to all of you. A big round of applause for everyone. And I'm sure you'll stick around if anyone's got any questions. Thank you. Cheers, Cara. Thank you. Thank you.